Jimmy and Joelle and their new baby joining us here uh, pretty soon. And we have all kinds of ways to get connected and uh, get to know folks around here and share the love of Jesus. There's a women's retreat coming up the middle of next month, so uh, be, uh, be checking that out. Uh, Jen Soderstrom was part of our church family Wiles, the speaker. Uh, she's coming with her husband, Drew, and he'll be preaching that morning on uh, May 15th, and uh, looking forward to that. Be praying for Steve and, and Hannah Huggins. You remember we offered them an opportunity to come join us and be part of our pastoral team. They're now living in Idaho, moving to California. If anybody needs the criteria for understanding God's will, it's leaving Idaho and coming to California. That is absolutely the Lord's be speaking. And they join us most time on Sunday morning. So Steve and uh, Hannah, uh, good morning. We got lots of other folks who have uh, moved away who still join us. Uh, uh, Stan and Barb. Good morning. Nice to have you uh, joining us as our fellowship grows in, in all kinds of ways. Be planning now for June 5th. We're going to have one service. It'll be outside. And then we're going to have a good time celebrating uh, God's goodness in our relationships outside. There'll be food and games and, and uh, all kind of fun. Less is more. Now, this is a paradox. Paradox is something that doesn't appear to be true, but then you think about it and you go, it might actually be true. I've had my brother suggest to me that when I'm going to get my fourth taco, less might be more. And I think he means by that, that, uh, uh, you, you know, eat a little less, it'll taste a little better, that the taste gets diluted, and maybe it'd be good for your health. I've had people suggest this one. I don't buy this one yet. That if you actually spoke a little shorter and used fewer words, the impact uh, might actually be greater. I'm still wrestling with the truth of that one. But we're going to look at a text today where John the Apostle is going to give us a story about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist gets this. He gets that there is, is more joy in less. Less is more. And he's going to illustrate for us a paradox that I'm convinced part of the reason it's recorded in text is that we ought to look at this paradox as least as it applies to ourselves and to Jesus, and we will find even more joy. So here's the text. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all, they're all going to him. And John answered, John the Baptist, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, 
but I must decrease. Lord, I pray, pray as we look at this text that again, you will speak to us. We desire to increasingly build our foundation on your love. Ah, you love us, you love us, you love us. We're in this journey trying to figure out if we should trust you, and if we do trust you, how to trust you more. I pray as we pursue those questions that you'll speak to our heads and our hearts. Our conviction is that the greatest joy in this life keeps from seeing you more and more clearly. Help us to do that in our time here together as we look at these words that were inspired by you. That's our prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pull today's text into part into two pieces. Here's the first piece where John the Apostle gives us this story about John the Baptist. We're going to look at this, and then after we work through this, we're going to look at the next piece of text, which is really John the Apostle's commentary. He's going to tell us why what John the Baptist does here makes so much sense. But here's the paradox. Less is more. John the Baptist gets it. Now, this is a counterintuitive truth if there ever was one. I'm going to find more joy if people don't make much of me, but if they actually make a lot about Jesus. That's going to make me happier. People thinking less of me. Now, this is the human presumption on this thing. More is more. That's the way it works. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. How much fame is enough? Just a little bit more. And here's what we're dealing with in this text. This Jew is going to raise an issue that is just part of life. And it's this idea that personal recognition brings happiness. The more, the better. The more people make of us, the more they celebrate us, the more terrific and wonderful and spectacular we are, the more people that get that and the more thoroughly they get that, the happier we'll be. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, we're not told exactly what the issue is. If you go to chapter 4, verse 2, it's not actually Jesus doing the baptism, but it's his disciples. So you got John and his disciples baptizing, and then you got Jesus doing baptism. And what's the discussion? It's not that important to John the Apostle. But it could be, okay, John the Baptist is over there baptizing you. You're over there baptizing me. Now Jesus' disciples are baptizing. Is it because yours really didn't take? Is it because yours really wasn't that good? Now remember, all of this is a baptism before Jesus' death and resurrection. Baptism was a a symbol in lots of religions, and even in the Jewish faith, you dunk folks, and and there was this picture of, of cleansing. We don't know what the particular issue is, but we can get the issue that John the Apostle is interested in pulling apart in this text, beginning in verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. 
Now look, he's baptizing, and all are leaving you, and now they're going over to him. How's that feel? What do you think about that? You had some fame and some notoriety? I don't know if you've noticed, John the Baptist, but this guy over here is stealing it. Now, the Jew is tying into what I'm just going to call a human presumption. We think this joy in life, the more people that recognize how spectacular we are. I think it starts when we're kids. Most have dreams of fame in some area of life. Acting, music, sports. I've shared with you, I remember in the driveway as a fifth and sixth grader shooting baskets by the hour. I can still tell you, I played for the Los Angeles Lakers, and it would go three, two, one. Chapman takes, it's off the rim, but he's still got time to get to the ball. Gets the rebound and puts it up, and they win. I've also shared with you, I started taking guitar lessons in about eighth grade. I took them for about a year. Because I'm thinking, you can play in the NBA and then be a rock star in the offseason. And sing and dance and play. Now, it became fairly obvious, fairly early, that I wasn't going to the NBA, and because I had no musical ability, I was not going to be a rock star. But most of us, it's just part of this human condition. The more people make of us, the happier we'll be. I don't think it leaves us after childhood. We just start looking for it in different places. If we're in sales, how do my numbers compare with those who are working in the same company? Maybe those that are working in other companies. If I'm in real estate, how many houses did I sell compared to everybody else last year? If you're an accountant, I'm sure they have awards in accounting, but I know so little about it. But it's like, what, can I count better than the other guy? But this human tendency is there. If you're a teacher, am I ever considered for teacher of the year? Do they ever give me that ward at my school? Because this is just the way we view life. Now, I'm here to assure you that there's one occupation that's immune to this. Can you guys guess what it is? Pastors are not tempted by this. I've been doing this 35 years. Somebody finds out I'm a pastor, I'm going to tell you with 96% accuracy what their next question is. How big is your church? What it often feels like they're asking is, so how good are you at your job? <laughs> how many people like you? Now, I'd like to suggest that I'm immune from those feelings. At my age now, it's easier than when I was younger. But what makes you good 
at your job. So I'm just going to suggest that the Jew here has tapped in to something that he just presumes John the Baptist is wrestling with because it is just a human condition. We live in a world where fame and all that. I was reading about this, didn't watch it. You guys know they have like Oscars on TV. Have you guys heard about this? I'm not going to talk about Will. Read about that. But Amy Schumer set something up with Kirsten Dunst. I don't know, I, I, I didn't watch this, but I was reading about it. And Amy Schumer, who was hosting, went to Kirsten Dunst, who's a famous actress. Her husband is an actor. And she goes up to her pretending that she thinks she's just one of those seat fillers. You know, when the stars want to get up and go do whatever they do during this, they have ordinary people like you and me that come and sit in the seats. So Amy Schumer pretended that she thought Kirsten Dunst was just one of these seat fillers, went over to her, grabbed her, it was all set up beforehand, and dragged her off the, out of the seat. Amy Schumer's been getting death threats because she didn't respect the fame of Kirsten Dunst. Folks, this is just the world we live in, and if we think we're immune from this temptation, I would encourage us to look a little deeper into our heart. Then we get John the Baptist's perspective. Less is more. John the Apostle's giving this account to always see the beauty of Jesus. But again, John the Baptist, through this, he's using John the Baptist as a wonderful example of how we ought to live. And here's the first thing he says in which he derives great comfort. God gave me my role. Now, he's not saying he didn't make decisions or we don't make decisions in our roles in life. But he's saying, ultimately, here's what brings me peace in this. I'm doing what God called me to do, and it's in his hands. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, what he's talking about in this literary context particularly is his role in Je with Jesus, in his role and what he's done, and Jesus' role. Both these roles are given by the Father. That's why he's content with what's happening. I think there's a beautiful application for us. Whatever our role is right now, if you're in a job or in something there, I'm not saying that you can't consider changing it, but wherever we're at right now, whatever our role is, uh, you know, mailman, engineer, school teacher, stay-at-home dad, whatever that role is, it's because God wants us in that role for at least right now. And John the Baptist said, I got this role, but my role is primarily to point. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness. I already told you, you got to love human nature. He's already been saying this, but the Jew understands the power of this human presumption. And so he just assumes John the Baptist is envious. 
that he has this deep need to be recognized, to be famous, to be popular, to have everybody approve of him. You of yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. That's my role. The one who has the bride, and all through scripture, Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, that'd be Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist here, who has a significant role, but it's not being the groom. Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. This is my role. To point to the groom. Us, our roles, whatever they are, to point to the groom. Sanitation worker, retired from formal employment. Wherever we find ourselves, it's God that's put us there. But our job is to point to the groom. And our fullest joy ought to come from pointing to Jesus. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, full. I don't have near as much joy of people making much of me as I do pointing them to Jesus, seeing them get filled up with Jesus so that he's better known than I am. Counterintuitive truth. The greatest joy is not making, having people make that much of us. But when we see the truth of who he is, getting them to see Jesus It's so much better. His fame. People recognizing him. People applauding him. Must increase. But I. People making much of me. And me finding my joy in their making much of me. That's got to decrease. Less of us, more of Jesus. There's the paradox. There's the counterintuitive truth that John the Apostle is telling us a story about John the Baptist who promotes that idea. Then John the Apostle, the guy who's writing the book, is going to tell us why we should live that way. Why whatever it is we do when we spend those waking hours, whatever that role is, it ultimately ought to be to point to Jesus. We're going to do well at whatever we're doing, but this idea of our life and our faith being integrated, whatever that is, John now wants to explain why John the Baptist's point of view, though it might feel exceptional and extraordinary, why it makes sense. 
He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, back up for just a second. This is fairly obvious intellectually. We're trying to keep embracing this and pursuing it. So how do we get that place where we care less about people recognizing us and making much of us and more about them seeing his glory? It's what we talk about every week. Just continuing to get a clearer look at who he is. I want you to think about it, and there's got to be somebody in your world. Money guy, sports guy, music person. Somebody that you go, right now, that would be cool to meet this person. Because they know a lot about it, and heck, we even find people, if they know that we know them, then we have a little better standing. This is how life works. It's the whole basis of autographs. I was close to somebody who's well-known and famous. Whatever you're thinking about, John's going to give us a picture of why those of us who love Christ go, it's not about people seeing how great I am. It's about people seeing him for who he is. He's above any human. He comes from heaven he who comes from above is above all. Now, when you come from above, who are you? God. There's only one person that's come from above in this sense. Only one. Now, I would like to meet LeBron James. I would like to meet Steph Curry. I would like to meet Bubba Watson. These are all athletes. I would love to meet Billy Joel. I got lots of people that I think it would be cool to meet. And do you think I would tell you that I got the chance to meet them? Yes, I would. I would slip it in a sermon subtly so that now you thought more of me because I met Billy Joel. Are you following me? If you think I'm immune from this temptation, you are wrong. Who's he talking about here? He who comes from above is above all. Whatever challenges, whatever we got going on in our life. He who is of the earth here, speaking specifically of John the Baptist, but all the rest of us, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all because he is God. Now here's the reality. John the Baptist, it makes so much sense what he did. But John's writing now decades after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And he's writing this book for those of us who are reading it. And here's his hope. 
Don't miss what so many people are missing. We're still in the introduction of this book. But John's passion is, Jesus! Ah! But people miss it. He writes this book because his burden, his heartache, is despite all the evidence to who Jesus is. People don't get it. They think there's more joy in people making much of them. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Now this is Jesus who came from heaven. So what has he seen and heard? He's from heaven. He's seen and heard everything from God's perspective because he is God. And he gives witness to that. Hyperbole here. We're going to notice that from the next sentence. But most people in the world miss it. They don't get it. Now recognizing Jesus is getting it right. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Exaggeration. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. And you can think of those old letters where they had wax and they put a seal on it and then you knew it was from that person. Here's the reference. Whoever listens to Jesus and receives his testimony, the seal is set to this. We get it. God is true. Jesus is God, so understand this in the way I mean it. But he says more than Jesus is true, God is true. You got it right. You see God for who he is. He made this promise to send this Messiah. He sent the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. That God who always keeps his word. And you are correct. And it's absolutely essential that people get this one right. And Jesus is God and speaks as God. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of Jimmy reading the Bible. Did you hear him talk about it? For the first time in his life. Pretty cool. Lots of wise people out there. Lots of books. I read lots of books that help me think about lots of things. The Bible was written by God. Not the only book we read, but our conviction is around here. If it came from God, the ideas are probably solid. You understand that's why we preach the way we do. We go through this. You understand if I was making up sermons and just talking from my own brain, I would be nervous and hesitant and tentative. Me? Those people have to create sermons. I don't ever have to write a sermon. All I do is find the sermon that God wrote. If somebody disproves the Bible, I'll stop doing it. But until then, these are the words of God. And if you're pondering whether or not you want to treasure Christ, you're still investigating it. Look at the authority of Scripture as objectively as you can. Look at this. Research it. Changed my life when I finally did that in my early 20s. This is a book whose credibility is unlike any other piece of literature in all of history and all of antiquity. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now, how many of you have been given the Spirit? Oh, I was hoping to see a lot more hands. 
If you treasure Christ, God has given you his spirit. Now I want to break a truth to you, maybe in process, not without measure. We get the spirit with measure. Jesus is God. We got the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He gets the spirit without measure. John the Apostle is trying to understand why people thinking much of us is not that consequential. Because of who he is. The joy in seeing him for who he is. And whoever believes is good. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now I'm going to read this next part and we're not going to end there. But like last week when we talked about this, this is a theme that John, as he introduces this gospel, has been setting up. Jesus is God. He's going to talk about this for the whole book. Those who get it are good. Those who don't. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And here, connection, obedience to faith. Not all work salvation in this, but those who love him, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. But whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. As we talked last week, it's a present reality. It's a connection with God we have right now. When we physically die, it's going to be even better, that connection with him. But eternal life is knowing Jesus is with us and whatever junk that we're... See, there was evidence of the Holy Spirit. Did you see the word I just avoided? Tell me the Holy Spirit. Now, not without measure, but he's in me enough. That junk in this life, Jesus is right there with us. Helping us to have perspective. Knowing that he's using it for our good. So let me suggest some takeaways. First, it's good and positive to have a good reputation. This is a good thing. I'm not suggesting, and the scripture is not suggesting that we care nothing about how people perceive us. My hope for everybody who claims RCC is their home, people know us as loving, kind, gracious, hardworking, honorable. It's good to have a positive reputation. It's good to care about having a positive reputation. In our communities, at work, at home, everywhere. This is a good thing. But our desiring, our recognition more than Jesus is not good. This is a matter of the heart. Where's my deepest happiness found? Is it in people making much of me? Now there's some of us, I'm going to talk to some of us that may be on the older side. The hope of being recognized by the world, we just gave up on that a long time ago. I love y'all, but not healthy unless it's actually been replaced by this joy that Jesus be lifted up. Me, I gave up the dreams of being a rock star 45 years ago. But it wasn't replaced with Jesus at that point in my life. It was just the reality. I didn't have anything that it takes to, that to be true. It's not good. If our identity is still more tied up in what other people think about us than being in a child of God, it's not a good sign. And the way we change that is we get a more full picture of Jesus. 
How I love that interview and what Jimmy talked about our, and we didn't coordinate this, I don't think, Johnny even using the words pointing to Jesus. It's what we do around here. Point to Jesus, point to Jesus, point to Jesus. Because we're convinced he's the answer. Now he uses us. I don't know if you've noticed, we're all broke, weakened, and some of us getting older by the day vassals. But this is his plan. I'm omniscient. I come up with a different way than using us myself. But he uses us. Pointing to other Jesus is the best. I was reading a Barna survey this week. 37% of unchurched people in this survey claim that the reason they don't go to church is because they got hurt by church or somebody who went to church. Just sit on that for a second. According to the survey, to the degree it reflects America, 37% of the young church don't come here because they've been hurt at church. Who knows why? Julie and I have a, a little restaurant we go to on Saturday mornings. We discovered it on a Sunday morning on my sabbatical. This was, I think, about 10 years ago. I had a sabbatical. And one Sunday morning, I asked my wife, hey, do you want to go to a different church? you want to go for a walk on the beach? So it was her choice, not mine. As a loving husband, I acquiesced to her. <laughs> and we went down to the beach, and we found this little restaurant that's got these, these $7 breakfasts. And uh, we've been going down there for 8 or 10 years. Down there yesterday with our grandkids who are here from Virginia. We had all three of them. We went down here. Now, we've gotten to know the servers. We've gotten to know the folks that work there for over 78 years. The last time we were there, about three weeks ago, we go on Saturdays now, not Sundays. <laughs> last time we were down there, one of the servers uh, uh, asked me. I've gotten to know him fairly well. He asked me what I did for a living. I don't tell people. Usually they get a picture I don't want them to have. That's what it feels like to me. So again, yesterday I greet him. Hey, how you doing? You know the first thing he says to me? Yeah. I can tell you're judging me. Now let me assure you, I've done nothing in all the years we've gone there that would have conveyed judgment. In fact, we're generous tippers just in case they hear us talking about Jesus. Because once in a while at breakfast, I'll talk about my sermon. So we're very generous tippers there. Done nothing. And he sees my response because that's why I don't tell people I'm a pastor. And he immediately says, ah, oh, I'm just kidding. I just know you're a pastor. Where are people getting this idea? If you were here last week, if there's anybody that ought to understand we're sinners. For those of you on TV, I'm sorry. 
they tell me to stand up there, so I'm not actually listening to them, so don't blame all the tech people. <laughs> Where does he get this idea? Broke my heart. Pointing to others, to Jesus, is the best. And we live in a culture where they're getting a lousy idea of who Jesus is. Now let me be clear. None of us is perfect, particularly me. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to act and behave in ways that aren't the greatest reflection of Christ. What should we do when that happens? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Confess to Jesus and then ask their forgiveness. This ain't rocket science. We judge no one. God alone is the judge. We help people when we develop a relationship, get to the point where they can make an accurate assessment of where they may be spiritually. But we get there in a way where even that, to the best of our ability, is conveyed in love. That's our hope and prayer for RCC. My hope and prayer is when people ask you where you go to church, you go, man, I really like this place, RCC. The pastor preaches too long. He hasn't figured out less is more, but we're praying for him. <laughs> but here's what I love about RCC. They have an unending, unyielding, Desire and commitment to point to Jesus. They're pretty human, everybody that goes there. But they point to Jesus. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. But our hope is in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Now don't just, I'm going to try harder to point to Jesus. Here's how it works. You guys pay me to do this. Do you understand? My mind is blown. You pay me to read about Jesus. I don't know why everybody doesn't want to be a pastor. He's like the coolest. He's like the best. And the best way to point to him is keep being filled up with him. So here's my encouragement. Apologies to those of you watching at home again. Every day this week, pick up the Gospel of John. Start at 1-1 and read through here. And you just say, Lord, keep giving me. A lot of this is up in my head. Through your spirit, I pray that you take the truth that's being revealed here. Read slowly enough that you can ponder the truth and take it to my heart. I love that testimony. Our prayer, hey, we got a picnic on June 5th. I think it'd be a great place to invite your friends and neighbors to a non-threatening context where they can have fun and get no judgment from any of us. But just enjoy Jesus together. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for inspiring John to write this gospel. Jesus, thank you for picking him and for having this special relationship with him. He's got insights into this. Ah, their life transforming. But in this, Father, we just need your love. Father, we're trying to build the foundation of our life increasingly upon your love. 
And our conviction is the more that you empower that to happen in our lives, the more happily, the more fully, with greater ability, we'll be able to point people to you. Father, we're in this journey. Don't let us ever beat ourselves up for where we are in this journey. All of us are exactly where you want us to be today. Our conviction, though, is you just want us to take a step forward in even more faith. So enable, empower us to do that. And I pray that anybody that has relationships with anybody from RCC, when they think about Jesus, they're encouraged. They're lifted up. I pray that they would sense your love, your grace, your forgiveness in us and through us.